we're in a, a summertime series here called Bold Moves, and it's kind of a, a message, a, a series of messages that I have based on our Super Saturdays uh, events that we've had here this summer. Uh, the first one, we, we uh, had the bold, kind of the in-your-face question of, what are you looking at? And we talked about David. When David went up against Goliath, what David was looking at was God, not the giant. The next week, we talked about the question, what are you doing here? And uh, we talked about Samson and how Samson was put on this earth with a purpose by God to set his people free from oppression. And then last week's question, so what's your story? And we talked about Elijah's story. And Elijah had a very simple story. There is a God, I'm his servant, and the good that I do, he does through me. And today, the in-your-face question is, what do you think you're doing? What do you think you're doing? What do you think you're doing? We're going to look at Joshua chapter 10, verses 6 through 15. What we think we're doing might actually be, should be, what God's doing through us. Your finest hour is when you respond to what God has already done for you. It's almost a little confusing when you first read through some of the parts of our text for today because it reads as past tense for what Joshua is about to do. And the reason it reads as past tense is because God is the one who has done the great work. Your greatest achievement, your moment in time, the highlight of your spiritual career is when you acknowledge that God has already won your battle for you and you just go for it and get in on it. God wants us to have skin in the game. And God doesn't need our help, but God always seems to find a way for us to get in on the work that he does. He doesn't just snap his fingers and, and cause ministry to happen. He involves people in his work, his kingdom work, and gives us a part in it all. And it is a thrilling, exciting thing. That's why a group of teenagers and young adults will take a week off from their summer, unpaid, not going necessarily on a great vacation like we all love and enjoy, most of us at least one or two a year, but to travel that far away to dig fence post holes and paint barns and slaughter chickens is because it's a thrill when we get to be a part of what God has already done and planned for us to do. In way of introduction, there in Joshua chapter 10, verses 6 and 7 say, And the men of Gibeon sent to Joshua at the camp of Gilgal, saying, Do not relax your hand from your servants. Come up to us quickly and save us and help us. For all the kings of the Amorites who dwell in the hill country are gathered against us. So Joshua went up from Gilgal, he and all the people of war with him, and all the mighty men of valor. The Israelites had really stood up to AI under General Joshua's leadership, and they beat them badly. AI was a tough city uh, to contend with. They were a very strong city, and the people of Gibeon knew that about AI, and they kind of did the math real quickly, and they realized that, hey, if Joshua and the Israelites could do that to AI, what more could they do to us? So they came up with a scheme, a strategy, 
a, a deceit, if you will, to get the people of Israel to sign a treaty with them, and an alignment with them, to make them their allies, because they knew that if they were on God's side, Joshua's side, the Israelites' side, they were destined to win, and they wanted to be victorious in the battle. Five kings and their kingdoms decided just the opposite. Instead of forming an alliance uh, with Joshua, they would form an alliance with each other. None of them were strong enough to whoop the Israelites under Joshua's leadership and under God's hand. And so they thought, maybe if the five of us come together, we can do it. And the very first people they want to take on are the Gibeonites. Because when you associate yourself with someone else, their enemies become your enemies. And so the Gibeonites, in those first two verses I read, verses 6 and 7 of Joshua 10, you sense in them quite a bit of fear, quite a bit of anxiety, a desperation. And when they reach out to Joshua, hey, honor your, uh, your uh, treaty with us, your, your alignment with us, come up here quickly and protect us, that's exactly what Joshua does. It says he takes the men of war with him and the men of valor with him. He's got all of his soldiers, and they come at once, even marching up all night long. When our kids were real little and we would go to Florida, for a spring break, we'd go down and visit Shauna's parents at Daytona Beach, and, and uh, we would pick our kids up from school around 3.30 or so, get on the road around 4, stop in Sellersburg, Indiana, have dinner with my mom around 7 o'clock, and then we would continue on the drive. And as we left Kentucky into Tennessee, eyelids were getting heavy. Hopefully not all eight of the eyelids, <laughs> sometimes. You know, I'd start slapping myself and what have you. And eventually, after, long after the kids would fall asleep, it, you know, Shauna would get, fall asleep and I would keep driving. And, and we would make it through the night and our traditional stop, as I'm sure it is for many of you, as you enter the Florida state line and you stop off at the rest stop, you get the free orange juice or grapefruit juice of your choice. And it tastes unlike any other orange juice or grape juice on the planet. It is a, a victory drink, if you will, that you have made it that far. And I would be excited. The sun would be up. It would start to be getting warm. We'd be going through Jacksonville, Florida. And then, man, I would really get tired. And we'd pull into Daytona Beach sometime around 9 a.m. And grandparents so excited to see us. Kids having had a great night's sleep, all excited. And I tell you, I was kind of worthless <laughs> till about lunchtime at least from that drive all night long. Joshua and the, the mighty men of war, his men of valor, they didn't wait. They honored the, the commitment they had made to the Gibeonites. They, they had signed the agreement. They said, we will protect you and protect them. They did. And they started out in haste and they went all night long. Now, I don't know what a, a, a trip like that would do to you on foot and carrying all your heavy weaponry and uh, armor. Well, I'm going to guess they physically were exhausted from a human standpoint, but God had gone before them. As I said earlier, your greatest moment, your finest hour is when you respond to what God has already done for you and the battle belongs to the Lord. Who does the battle belong to? The battle belongs to the Lord. Say that with me. The battle belongs to the Lord. I don't know what 
your biggest battle is in your life. That's been a consistent theme that has kind of the Holy Spirit has put on my heart as, as I've been preparing for these messages is that all of us, at some point or another, we go through various battles. Some are with other people. Some are with physical limitations or ailments. Some are financial. Some are family-related. Some are educational. Some are occupational. But whatever your battle is, if you're not in one now, you better be prepared because one is coming. It's part of life. People will say it beats the alternative, right? But as we go through life, we're going to have different challenges, different battles. Whatever that number one thing is in your life, that if God would just take it away from you today... Oh, man, the rest of your day would all be about celebrating because that big thing was taken off of your shoulders. What is that one thing for you? The fact that God goes ahead of you in battle does three things for you that we can learn from Joshua chapter 10 and seeing what God did for Joshua. The first thing is that he fills you with confidence. When God goes ahead of you in battle and he uses past tense Uh, verbs to describe what he has done for you, that ought to give you an element of confidence because your confidence is not in you, it is in the Lord. Verses 8 and 9 says, and the Lord said to Joshua, the Lord said this to him, do not fear them. Why? For I have given them into your hands. Not a man of them shall stand before you. So Joshua came upon them suddenly, having marched up all night from Gilgal. Have no fear. You remember that slogan there for a while? No fear. No fear. It makes a great sports uh, uh, theme. It makes a great athletic equipment campaign. But I want you to know that no fear should be a campaign that all Christians adopt. Why? Because we have no fear because God has gone before us and God has given us the victory. Have no fear, for I have given them into your hands. Not I will give them into your hands, just trust me, go on. I have given them into your hands. Whatever tomorrow holds, or next week, or next month, God is already on his throne, and he is sovereign, and he's got it taken care of. Now, it may not work out the way you want. We may not get the delights of our heart if they don't align with what God wants to accomplish, but God is sovereign, and we can always trust him no matter what. I have given them into your hands. God has already given you the victory before the battle even begins, and God does all things well. He said that not one man would be able to stand before Joshua. Not a single one of the soldiers from the conglomerate of the five kings and their kingdoms would be able to stand against Joshua. God is a God of completeness, isn't he? He thinks of everything. Maybe you have somebody like that in your family when they packed for you to send you on a trip and you get there and you find they've thought of everything. Every office supply that you're going to need, maybe when you get off to college, Or maybe you go on a fourth musketeer men's adventure weekend and you've gone through the list and maybe a buddy has helped you prepare and they thought of everything. And when you get there, you are prepared for the battle. Our God has thought of everything. Every I dotted, every T crossed. When you get to the battlefront, your God is a God of completeness. Every one of the opposing enemies would not be able to stand against 
Joshua. Not one of them could. Verse 9 says that Joshua and all the people of war with him came upon them suddenly, having marched all night long. I wanted to repeat that verse again because I, I want us to remember that we've got to put skin in the game. Um, I'm oftentimes mindful of the Israelites right before they entered the promised land. They had crossed the Jordan River, and the Jordan River is flowing, and it's at flood stage, you know, and, and they've got to get across this thing, and they're not going to get across it on, on uh, ferries or rafts or, or a dam. Uh, they're not going to fly over it or jump over it. No, God's going to stop up the river, Right? And, and, and so the Jordan literally stacks up into the sky, it says. And I picture it just keeps stacking up and stacking up and stacking up into the heaven as God blows that riverbed dry and they're able to cross it. But what takes place before God does what God can do? Step on into the water. He commanded them to step into the water. And when all of their priests were, had their feet in the water at flood stage, that is when the waters would stack up. I like to go night fishing in, in Raccoon Lake right now. The water is really up. And I've got a spot that I like to go to where uh, there's a parking lot across from the beach. There's a, a place where you can clean fish, and a staircase goes down to what should be a boat dock where you can rent slips to put your boat in. The water is so deep, it's over the dock. It's not just over the dock. It's so deep, it's over the sign. <laughs> I noticed the last time I was there, I thought, what is that piece of wood floating there? It's the top of the sign is underwater. The water is up over the, the stoop that you come down onto. It literally comes up onto the steps, and you can only walk down the steps. That's all I've got is a step <laughs> to stand on uh, when I go there. But I'm, I'm fearful and respectful of that water because I, I don't know if there's any kind of a current. I don't know if there's any objects down there, a giant snapping turtle. I don't know. But... Those Israelites had to have faith to step on in the water, didn't they? Even when it was at flood stage. The next thing is <clears throat> that should give us uh, a great amount of confidence is the fact that when God goes ahead of you into battle first, ahead of you, it means he prepares the way for you. He's prepared the way. Joshua 10.10 says, And the Lord threw them into a panic before Israel who struck them with a great blow at Gibeon and chased them by the way of the ascent of Beth Horon and struck them as far as Azekah and Makedah. God threw them into a panic. I'm not exactly sure what that means, but we see that time and time again in Scripture in which the enemy is put into some kind of a confusion. He did it at Babel, you know, and in other places where the people are, the enemy is, is, is in a state of confusion. How does God give you the victory? The answer, any way he wants to. That often makes it difficult for us to recognize his hand in our victory. We either think he's not actively a part of our lives or we take credit for what he does do for us. Sometimes we're tempted to think we are our own gods. In Steven Spielberg's movie Lincoln, Elizabeth Keckley, played by Gloria Rubin, assures the president that the 13th Amendment will pass because she says God will see to it. The amendment seemed by all human expectations destined to fail. Lincoln responded, oh, I don't envy him his task. Maybe he wish he had chosen an instrument more wielding of power than the House of Representatives, he said. But that assurance, you see her faith. 
when all odds were stacked against it, she said, Mr. Lincoln, I know you're concerned, but I want you to know the amendment will pass. God will see to it. And you, the, the actor in that movie did such a great job portraying Elizabeth Keckley's faith. God will see to it. May we all have that kind of faith. Sometimes he works through nature. Sometimes he works through his own people to, to make a way. I once talked with a skeptic when I was in college, and he asked, well, why would a loving God allow innocent children in developing countries to starve to death? And they didn't do anything wrong. Unfortunately for me, I had just heard someone speak on this at the college, and they had mentioned uh, that, at least in the late 1980s, there was enough food on the planet to feed every person on the planet eight times over if we just share more, or if people in positions of political power in other countries would allow the aid to come into the country to feed the hungry people, God had already provided the food eight times over. Now, I don't know if that's still true today, if that's true in 2019 or not, but it reminds me that we have to have skin in the game. Sometimes God makes us stronger or smarter, or energetic enough for the task. I have oftentimes, before a, uh, maybe a final exam the next morning, or if, I've, if I'm preaching a, a funeral and I'm up late preparing for it or something, I'll say, Lord, please give me an extra measure of your strength. <laughs> please give me the clarity that I need. Please help me, help these five hours of sleep that I'm going to get feel like eight. <laughs> Nine if you want to. <laughs> Give me that energy, that strength that I need. And the next day you go about your business and you kind of forget about your prayer. And afterwards you go, oh, I'm not as tired as I thought I would be. You know, I got five hours of sleep last night. I can't figure out why I... Oh. And then you say thank you to the Lord. Sometimes God makes a way for us by working on other people like he did in this story, on the enemy. He threw them into confusion and that's what he did here for Joshua against his enemies. And sometimes when you have fretted over a meeting or a conversation that you are going to have with someone, sometimes we fail to pray before that conversation takes place. My professor of evangelism in, in Bible college <clears throat> talked to our class once about the importance of prayer before entering into a spiritual conversation with someone. He said, I never leave my car in the driveway till I have prayed. I always pray, obviously, for myself that God will give me clarity and, and confidence and boldness to say what needs to be said. But then he said, mostly, I pray for the person with whom I'm about to meet. I pray that they would be open and receptive uh, to what we were going to talk about. He said that that does two things. One, in a very practical sense, it takes the pressure of off of you and puts the responsibility of the outcome back on God where it belongs. And secondly, God answers prayer. He says that when he'd remember to pray that prayer, it inevitably went better than he could have ever imagined. And up to the time he'd prayed, he was owning all of the responsibility of the outcome. Once you've prayed about it, the outcome's not your responsibility anymore, only the input. Like Joshua, march all night from Gilgal, and get there, and honor your commitment. Do whatever it takes. Get your skin in the game. Be willing to sacrifice. Be willing to, to shed some tears, maybe a little blood if it calls for that. But get in there and do what you have to do. 
but give the outcome to God. And then that's, and if, that, if, if I think we're all being honest, the outcome is what I think we fret about the most. What if I'm a failure? What if it doesn't go well? What if I come up short? But if the outcome belongs to the Lord, that's not on you. Finally, the fact that God goes before us into battle means that he has given you the victory. Look at verse 11 of Joshua 10. It says this. And as they fled before Israel, while they were going down the ascent of Beth Horon, the Lord threw down large stones from heaven on them as far as Azekah, and they died. There were more who died because of the hailstones than the sons of Israel killed with the sword. That's pretty awesome that God did more through nature than what was even done in all of the battle that they had ever fought with the sword against Ai. As impressive as that was, they did more as God went ahead of them and God gave them the victory. And it clearly gives credit to God for causing that. Now here's the conclusion of things. Joshua 10, 12 through 15 says this. And at that time, Joshua spoke to the Lord in the day when the Lord gave the Amorites over to the sons of Israel. And he said in the sight of Israel, Sun, stand still at Gibeon, and moon in the valley of Ajalon. And the sun stood still, and the moon stopped, until the nation took vengeance on their enemies. Is, not, is it not written in the book of Jasher, Jasher? The sun stopped in the midst of heaven, and did not hurry to set uh, for about a whole day. There has been no day like it before or since. When the Lord heeded the voice of a man, for the Lord fought for Israel, so Joshua returned and all of Israel with him to the camp of Gilgal. Now that book of Jasher is one that is lost, that we have no copies of today and not, not sure about it. But in, in this Holy Spirit-inspired scripture that we have, this canonized scripture that we have, it refers back to it and says, was this not told uh, would happen? Joshua literally asks the Lord to make the sun and the moon stand still, and they do. There's a little bit of a, a debate as to whether or not it was the sun standing still to give them more daylight to fight the battle, or was it to give them more shade from the moon that they might have the coolness of night. They had to have been exhausted, like I said before, and perhaps God's extra strength that he was giving them wasn't just like caffeine in the blood system, so to speak, but maybe it was more of of giving them the shade from the sun so that they are not so beat down that they can get through it and they can do what they, they need to do. And that prayer was answered. So many miracles that are performed in the Bible are performed within nature. After all, God created the nature. He's in control of it. He either speeds it up, slows it down, stops it or multiplies it. You look, you look back over miracle after miracle in the Bible and you will see him using nature in some way or another. And here the sun and the moon stand still and hailstones fall from, from the sky. 
And God is sovereign. Your greatest moment, your finest moment is when you realize and you respond to what God has already done for you. That number one battle that I asked you to think about earlier, whatever that is, maybe that's just between you and God. Maybe you want to have a conversation with family later on. Maybe you want to write out a a prayer in your prayer journal about it. Whatever that number one thing is, when you recognize that God has already gone before you, that he's already given you the victory, that he's taken care of it, you're going to feel an incredible, immense relief of stress. Because the battle doesn't belong to you. The battle belongs to the Lord. I mentioned last Sunday that our family had a wonderful week off, 4th of July week, at uh, Pokagon State, State Park up near Fort Wayne. And we did some hiking. I went out hiking on my own one day and did this uh, challenge Mentions the antipode of heaven, uh, this, uh, this big challenge. It's eight miles if you don't get lost, ten if you do. And, um, but it was, a, it was a, it lived up to its name. It was quite a challenge. But so many beautiful things to see. And I think the thing that I was the most impressed with in all of the hiking that I did and the things that I saw, a lot of nature. Um, I, I actually came across three sets of deer. And in, in, in the I mean, like came across and like walked up to them kind of thing. And you know, when they startle, they're pretty dramatic. All my hunting buddies, you never told me that deer hiss. <laughs> like that. First they go. And then they go. <laughs> and then they run. I'm like, no one told me that they hiss. Bark, whatever. It is grunt. It's probably grunt, isn't it? I'm going to hear about that tomorrow morning at 6 a.m. Yeah. Uh, they, they, it's probably grunting. But anyway, it sounds like hissing to me in the woods. Raccoons I came across. I came across all, uh, uh, what, 8,020, 8, I think, uh, uh, chipmunks I saw. But the thing that I was the most impressed on, on this trip was were the wetlands that they're trying to preserve. And so I wanted my wife to see those with me. So we went out the next day. <laughs> she uh, took her hiking uh, through the woods. And, um, I mean, it was beautiful. We left the lodge. really was. But, uh, boy, it changed quickly. I kept looking over her shoulder at uh, the black sky boiling and gathering up behind us. And um, I said, we really probably better hurry a little bit. And uh, she was able, God used her (laughs) wisdom there to show me a shortcut that I had missed where I got lost the day before, actually, through the prairie. And she goes, I bet that's where this right here, where that veers off, and that'll take us right to the woods. So we did. And we got there just, to the, just in time. I mean, thunder is going crazy. Those of you who know a little bit about church history, Martin Luther's conversion in the thunderstorm in the woods, I think I got saved all over again. <laughs> I mean, this was some kind of storm. We heard two full-grown trees fall in the woods. When a full-grown tree goes down in the woods, it makes a lot of noise. And trees were, I mean, without exa- I exaggerate for effect, so you'll have to ask my wife. I'm almost sure those tree tops were doing this as we were going through. It looked like something from a Disney movie. And tree limbs were falling that were no smaller in diameter than that. Just, I mean, falling everywhere. I said, just cover your head and run for it. And it started to hail. And, and, but, but through a series of God provided the way and us not getting lost and running into a stranger in the woods and, and splashing along the way. And we came out, by the time we came out, the rain had completely stopped and it was peaceful again. And I was reminded that we have a powerful God 
who is God over the nature. And he is the God who protects and saves us. He is the God who commissions us and who has purpose for us. He is the God who goes ahead and prepares the way. He's the God who gives us the victory before we ever begin the battle. But you gotta get you gotta get in the game. You gotta put your feet in the water before the, the flood stops. And when you do, look out because God can do immeasurably more than all you could ever begin to think or imagine. Pray with me. Father, I thank you for your amazing love. I thank you for all of the powerful things that you do in our lives and through us. God, from things that simply give us the desires of our heart, like safety and not dying in the woods, to God, the, the, the things that you do strategically for your kingdom that are eternal. We thank you for all of those things. God, I pray that you would continue to call every one of us here at, at Dover Christian Church into more and more and more ministry for your kingdom, that you would expand our ministry. Uh, Father, like the prayer of Jabez, God, we pray that you would expand the, the calling that you give us and that you'd take all the credit for it, that, God, you'd call us away from the mundane and the mediocre and the average, that, God, we would, you would raise the bar for us and that, God, we would answer that call, middle of the night if it takes, and, God, we would take off in a full gallop to go wherever you lead us and that God we would not uh, lead out of fear that we would not be timid but God we would do whatever you call us to do because you've called us to do it and that God at the end of the day whatever the result you own it and we'll give you the credit for it Lord this is our prayer in the powerful name of Jesus we pray amen